0: attention attention please the camp Ojibwa history podcast is on the air oh. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwe History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwe for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded in 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, Bert Duke Gutterman. That's right. Duke is most well-known among the current kids at camp for having an awesome name duke because you know guys just aren't named duke anymore and also of course being the winning coach on a certain set of plaques that get a lot of a lot of publicity in the plaque world in the recall but you'll hear our, in the mess hall i'm sorry you'll hear all about that before we get to duke a couple of housekeeping bits number one i've been telling you about it but it's wrapping up the campo history project was given a great gift by dennis Rosen and camp Ojibwa, uh, couple, I guess, 18 months ago or so, when they allowed us to use a portion of camp near the Collegial Week bench and put in commemorative bricks and use the proceeds from those bricks to help fund the project. And it was the perfect confluence of, it was always my idea that I wanted the alumni of Camp Ojibwa to be the ones to fund the Camp Ojibwa History Project. I thought that was the way to invest everyone in what the project is and a way to make them care, but also a way to make them feel like they're part of it. They've made it happen, which is true. And the bricks made that possible. Camp was very awesome with that. And uh, so that said, the project is coming to an end, because I also feel strongly that I want the bricks to continue to be special. I don't want them to be something that just goes on and on and on. I want the people who have taken the time to buy brick early on and help the project out, I want them to remain commemorated in a certain way. And so... We're going to close up shop on the bricks April 1st. All orders have to be in by April 1st. That'll be the last bricks we sell, and we will not be selling bricks again. There will not be any more bricks put into that area. So there you go. You've heard it here. If you don't have a brick and you'd like to get in before the deadline, go to Camp and you'll see right there on the home page, you can click to buy your brick, go through the process, and you too can have a message forever on the grounds of Camp Ojibwa. I also have to take just a moment, of course, to mention OJ90. If you haven't gotten your tickets, the time is now. Go to OJ90.com, pick them up. Friday night's event, May 5th, at the formerly Joy of the Game, the now North Shore Well Sports and Wellness, and uh, Saturday night's event, of course, at the North Shore Chicago Weston. Be there. It's going to be incredible. Uh, we're in the process of getting all the plans nailed down and all the uh, the events of the evening locked in place, and I think you're going to have a great time. So definitely get out there. And get those tickets now at OJ90.com. Okay, that's enough of that. Here we go. Duke Gutterman on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. When
1: I was young, I knew everything. She a punk I Took advice. Now I'm guilt stricken, sobbing with my head on the floor. Stop baby's breath. Okay,
0: first and foremost, please say your name and your years you were at Camp Ojibwa
1: Uh, Duke Gutterman, uh, 1956 through 1970.
0: Very nice. And how did you first come into contact with Camp Ojibwa?
1: Through my uh, father, uh, Duke Sr., he uh, was good friends with uh, Sid Novak, who mm. uh, preceded uh, Denny Rosen, and uh, he and uh, a couple of other guys, his contemporaries, would drive up, and uh, among them was uh, visiting uh, Hank Bartelstein, who was a counselor at the time. Sure, and uh, they would uh, they'd party, and uh, <laughs> they'd also visit the camp. So th- I think that's how the uh, idea was planted in my father's brain. Nice.
0: Now, in the 50s, were you coming from the city?
1: Yeah, I grew up uh, near north, uh, uh, went to Lakeview High School. But before that, uh, uh, I went to Lemoyne, which is just near Wrigley Field. Mm. And then my mother put her foot down and ended up fourth through eighth. I was in uh, Anchiemet, which was like a block away from uh, where we lived. Ah. And so the uh, graduating class was uh, uh, seven boys and six girls. <laughs> so really didn't, we didn't have a gym there like we sure. do today. And uh, I really was not uh, exposed to uh, a lot of athletics. Gotcha.
0: Now, did you like sports, though? Were you sort of inclined that way or, or because you hadn't been exposed to it, it wasn't really your cup of tea?
1: No, I like sports. Uh, um, I played, uh, you know, not in grammar school, but in high school. We, I was on cross country, and I helped a little bit on the tennis team. Um, I enjoyed uh, swimming a great deal. And, uh, gotcha. Um, it, uh, but never had a really, even Lakeview High School, uh, you didn't have, a, a, you had a gym, but you didn't have a, a athletic field. So for us to go practice tennis from Ashland and Irving, we'd have to go up to uh, uh, Lincoln Park. Oh, wow. So it was always uh, inner city <laughs> was uh, lacking in terms of uh, athletic facilities.
0: Sure. So uh, when it comes time for you to go to camp, does Al come over and do a camp call at your house or, or Mickey? or
1: It was – I don't remember. Mm. I know somebody did. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there was a slideshow, and um, I think uh, at. Seven years old, uh, I really <laughs> sure. didn't have a lot to absorb. <laughs> right. Right. They
0: just wanted to sort of go through the paces of it yeah, and right. the folks signed off on things. Sure. And in those days, now, in your early days, did you still, did you go out by bus or train. Was, it train yeah, it was
1: train? That uh, was train. Let's see. So uh, I'm sure uh, that's how I met Mark Lieberman. We've been lifelong friends. and. Oh, nice. Uh, we all talked about how uh, Elliot Friedman was picked on at night <laughs> on the train ride because sure. they had you know those um, sleeper cars with the upper and lower bunks. Gotcha. And, uh People, no one slept, and of uh, course, right. And uh, <laughs> uh, don't really remember much about uh, the train ride up, other than it was uh, really strange because it's like. Uh, Grew up in the city of Chicago, and we're in this train at night, and have no idea where we're going, and it's dark out, and yeah. so you have no idea what's going on in northern Wisconsin.
0: <laughs> right. It's a, it's crazy to think about that. I mean, it's so uh, such a so surreal to imagine putting a set, especially in those days because younger kids would go. I mean, these days our youngest kid might be eight, mm-hmm. but in those days it it wasn't a shock to have a six year old even. Uh, true. Yeah, and to put a six year old on a train into the night into the north. <laughs> On their own. I mean, it's just such a surreal idea. These days, obviously, uh, it's all buses, and yep. and they have TVs on the buses, and they have their iPads and stuff, but <laughs> it's a different world, I suppose. Different world. So, yeah, you take the train all night, you get up there, uh, they drop you in Eagle River, mm-hmm. and uh, come pick you up, I assume, in the uh, red truck.
1: It was the big red. Yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah it was, uh, it's a far cry uh, from today, uh, you think about the liability issues of, <laughs> Uh fifty kids piling in on the big rud and standing from downtown Eagle River, even if it was only three or four miles to Camp Ojibwa. Right. Going fifty miles an hour right. on the road.
0: And no one died. Right. It's amazing. It's yeah. just, you know, one one deer running across the road could have been the end of camp. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So you roll into camp. Now, is it is it daylight by the time you actually get to camp? Oh, yeah. I see. So it's basically been an overnight trip, and now mm-hmm. you're getting there during the day. What's the very first thing you remember visually about Camp Ojibla? Um,
1: Well, we had breakfast, and I remember we really got off on a bad note because uh, Al served prunes. Oh. <laughs> thinking, well, what kind of a place is this? <laughs> a
0: boys' summer camp, and yeah, right. prunes are on the menu. Yeah, right.
1: As if... Uh, you know, a seven-year-old is worried about being regular. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I know Al liked to, you know, he liked the best for his
0: boys, yes, but he also he was, uh, had what he focused needed. focused on health. <laughs> so you get up there. What cabin are you in? One. Wow. Right up, right, of course, you're seven. Uh, yeah. So you go into cabin one. Now that first year... Uh, staff guys, do anyone, do you remember any of that of your staff guys or people who were in the cabin with you?
1: Yeah, he was probably, and I, I'll never, I'm sure Denny or somebody else, probably Elliot would know. Uh, one of our counselors was Buddy Weiss and, uh, okay. he wasn't well liked.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> and
1: I have no idea why. But sure. he seemed to be a good counselor to us. Gotcha. Right.
0: So you're younger. You don't, you know, that kind of stuff. You right. don't, you don't know about he the politics yet. He had
1: some friction with the other staff. <laughs>
0: I suppose that happens at camp. What does
1: the camp day look like
0: then for you as a camper?
1: Well, the indoctrination was uh, uh, making your bed Hmm. and uh, lining your shoes up uh, under the bed and making sure your shelves are neat and then, you know, going out and lining up. Uh, I was uh, somewhat pleased because uh, I think I was second or third in lineup uh, before breakfast, so... I wasn't, uh, uh, I think Mark Lieberman might've been the, uh, the smallest in the group at the time. <laughs> so uh, there, there was a sense of relief there not being number one.
0: Sure. <laughs> uh, Lieberman, uh, he was on and, uh, he told me a great story about his brother and his brother was in Denny's cabin when he was, uh, when Denny was a counselor in cabin one or cabin two, whichever oh, one Mitchell. it was. And, um, they had been trying and trying to be successful at being on our cabin and get a clean cabin. And finally, one day, everything's going great. It's clean and everything's good. And they come back to the cabin after lunch. And Denny stops them at the door. And he's like, no one sleeps on their beds today. <laughs> Everyone under your beds. And he made them all sleep and spend respirate under their beds so they wouldn't mess the cabin up.
1: Hilarious. <laughs> I guess
0: that's, that's what camp was but at the time. So the day starts. You have your lineup. You uh, dip or shower. Now, were you a dip guy or a shower guy?
1: Dip. Yeah, it was uh, a lot easier. Sure, of course. You didn't have to soap up. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: And, uh, you know, yeah, the lake was cold, but uh, uh, at uh, that age, you really don't notice. Yeah, you're pretty resilient. Yes, exactly.
0: Now, you mentioned the prunes, but what about the food in general?
1: Uh, I don't, you know, I remember uh, Cleary's milk and... Boxes of cereal sitting uh, in steel bowls, and uh, uh, I remember Katie coming out. And gosh, I can't remember the name of the baker, Katie's husband, or was it Otto? Otto, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, food was good, very good, yeah. And uh, you know, you certainly didn't go hungry.
0: (laughs) Uh, That is certain, that is, that I've heard for sure. So, that first year. In my experience, when I talk to guys about camp, and even my own experience, there's sort of, you have all these sort of vivid memories from the first year, and then the next few years kind of blur a little bit together because everything's not new. You know, it starts to become routine and, and separating them. But so in your, as you go forward in your camper years, what are some of the things that stick out? What are the, some of the, the things that made you want to keep coming back?
1: Well, uh, I, I believe that uh, that first year, that first couple of weeks, I was homesick. Hmm. and uh i think sid novak uh and al were really uh, instrumental in getting me acclimated to the to the camp rhythm and uh i think it was sid novak who uh, called me uh, duke junior and then that's how it stuck nice and uh past that i have very little remembrance of uh any of the experiences other than you know passing your four pier and sure. Um, did you still do the, uh, Island swim at yes, that time? I oh. did. Uh, I don't remember if I did the, uh, three Island, uh, my first year, but by my second or third year I did. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The, and the monster uh, under the third Island, Lily pads never came. Oh, <laughs>
0: I have not heard about the monster under the third Island. Oh lily yeah.
1: There, you know, it's just like, uh, you never heard about, uh, the stories of, uh, uh, in those days, the uh, cabins, the older-style cabins, uh, didn't have windows. They had um, shutters, mm. and it was screens. So, I mean, if it was really inclement weather, you could always close the uh, the shutters.
0: Gotcha. But
1: uh, for the most part, they stayed open, and uh, the counselors had a field day with... Uh, Scary stories oh, and sure. then scratching on the screens, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there was always a story about a, a monster being under the Third Island lily pads.
0: Wow, nice, yeah, vicious on the kids, vicious yeah, oh, on the yeah. kids. Uh, you mentioned the uh, old style cabin, so you were there as those as that was progressing, as they were changing over to the new cabins.
1: Yeah, I, I believe I, I, I kind of remember. I think it was Cabin Twelve was the first cabin mm. that uh, was converted and i don't remember how aggressive uh, the remodeling was yeah i think uh by the time we got to a cabin uh that was new it was uh, cabin 6 and i don't remember gotcha. what that was 59 or 60
0: yeah and i think that after that remodel they really haven't changed um we've in the past 10 years we've put in uh we've changed the wood in the ceiling we've done like a knotty pine like a um, tongue and groove and uh, they have put new brick pads out in front. Hmm. Other than that, though, I mean the the buildings themselves basically have not changed.
1: That's great. Yeah. They uh, they were they were great during rest period for rafter ball. Of course,
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, have you been back to camp?
1: Yeah, but not recently. Uh, I have three daughters, and uh, we went up there once when they were young. Mm-hmm. So we're probably that's over um, twenty five years. But then there was an Another occasion, I went up and uh, we visited. I don't remember how long ago that was. Um, hmm. But uh, it was enjoyable just to go back and see some of the changes and see what has remained the same.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think it's surprising how much uh, hasn't changed, even though there have been little changes all along. Mm-hmm. But in the big picture, so little of it has changed. So going through uh, being in a camper. So eventually you get into cabin 13 Mm -hmm. and that's sort of, now you're the granddaddy of camp. You get to be the big boys at camp sort of thing. Um, Anything that sticks out from that? Who were your, do you remember who your counselors were in 13?
1: Uh, Might've been Marty Salzman at the time, uh, Mm. Elliot. And uh, I can't remember. Um, No, I, I can't remember. Yeah. It was, uh, Good experience, the two years. And uh, um, actually, toward 69 and 70, I think I was a a counselor in 13. Ah. So, uh, yeah, one of the more memorable experiences was, uh, I think it was Elliot I and um, Sid Harris. And uh, Sid had to leave at the middle of the season because he was drafted and he went to Vietnam. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was uh it was a somber somber year to yeah. to lose sid and fortunately you know he made it through but um uh there's really a good bunch of kids great uh, great staff and uh you know i enjoyed the the experience it was a frequent go down to the uh, waterfront uh, dave Gertz and marty salzman were Uh, In charge of the waterfront, and Mm -hmm. uh, I remember Dave had a beautiful reel-to-reel tape recorder set up for music. Sure, Uh, probably very similar to what Elliot has, you know, where he was playing all his musicals. But uh, (laughs) uh, different, a few show tunes along the way. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it was uh, it was fun. I I I can't remember. uh, I think I taught uh, sailing and. a lot of the water sports, so I worked under Dave and Marty a lot. Mm.
0: Nice. Uh, let me pick up on something you, you just mentioned, talking about Vietnam. Uh, so during World War II, a lot of the older, older guys who I've talked to, um, it was clear that the war was definitely uh, a part of camp. I mean, not a part of camp, but... Um, you know, you couldn't escape it, obviously. It was a piece, a part of the reason the kids were getting sent to camp was to kind of get them out of the city and get them away from certain things and whatever, and uh, the Warriors at those in 44 and 45, the back cover of the Warrior has a big V for victory in 44 and 45, things like that. Um, but I haven't talked to a lot of guys who were there sort of through the Vietnam time. Mm-hmm. Um, is it something that you're cognizant of as uh, certainly staff guys, I would assume, is something you're aware of constantly, or is it more of that's going on and we just don't think about it that much, or...? Does it have an effect on the day to day of camp in any way?
1: Well, there was always a uh, a seed uh, in the back of your mind on whether uh, at that point uh, a student deferment would continue mm. which uh, didn't happen for me and uh, but that was not until nineteen seventy you it's it's very interesting today to uh to see the uh civil unrest and protest uh whether it uh, be against uh, immigration bill uh, immigration uh, executive order or um, Trump in general compared to uh uh Vietnam protests sure and uh back then you had uh Something palpable that you could sink your teeth into. Uh, Lyndon Johnson and then Richard Nixon. You're talking about, so Nixon was uh, January of 69, uh, and uh, there was already 25,000 American dead and 50,000 wounded. And, uh, you know, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated, but uh, um, Nixon had a plan to end the war, and it was pretty apparent quickly that his plan was different than what. We thought our plan was, yeah. and uh, yeah. yet the protests were initially orderly. There was some disorder. I went to the University of Wisconsin, so uh, we were in the uh, the nexus of uh, civil unrest. Yeah. But uh, and it lasted a lot longer. But the difference is, is that we saw what Richard Nixon and Lyndon Johnson had done, and we today with the exception of an executive order or two, we, we haven't really had an opportunity to judge Trump. Right. So while I didn't vote for him, uh, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. And when he screws up, uh, he'll know that, uh, I'm a vocal opponent. But, yeah. uh, it, it, that was the, the contrast from, uh, the Vietnam era is, you know, you were just, you were wondering whether you were going to get called. Cause it was, it was immediate that, uh, there was something happening when all of a sudden mm. a fellow counselor is called yeah, away for sure. after four weeks at camp. Well,
0: I guess what, what it makes me think of is, you know, camp, one of the beautiful things about camp is this sort of nexus of six year olds and 16 year olds and 26 year olds and 66 year olds all being friends and all sharing the same conversation. And so I guess I wonder, does it become a place where the older staff have to talk to the kids and sort of explain to them what's happening in the world? That sort of thing
1: where a 12 year old is like freaked out and, No, the current events were the only, (laughs) at the time, the current events were probably the Los Angeles Dodgers, Chicago Cubs. Gotcha. I mean, you you can think back uh, in '69, uh, I don't know how many people relayed the story about Leo DeRocher coming up. Sure, of course. And uh, I can remember catching a frisbee that Leo had thrown. (laughs) So, you know, in those days, the Vietnam was something that was there, but. Uh, camp was apolitical.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That speaks to the power of camp, I suppose. mm mm-hmm. uh, So th- we touched on it a little bit. So then moving into your staff years. Now, how do you, do you like being a staff man more than being a camper? Is it a, a huge shift for you? I mean, I, obviously,
1: now you're responsible for kids as opposed to being a kid, so to speak. But. No, well, it was nice having the nights off and, and the freedom. We, You know, there were a lot of fun times that I had with my fellow counselors. Mm. And, uh, uh, good experiences as a, as a junior counselor eating before the the rest of the camp, oh sure, and uh you didn't mind waiting no, <laughs> no, you know whether it be uh, uh locking Steve Katz in the uh, uh, milk cooler or uh, <laughs> uh, how does that happen? How does that happen? I have no idea <laughs> you know, him crawling in looking for something, and then you know, you just couldn't resist, sure. Actually, I just saw a a great prank that was uh, uh, on YouTube. It was uh, Chris Bryant was in uh, Las Vegas hitting balls, and uh, they had set him up, and uh, Greg Maddox was the sound guy. He had a a beard and long hair (coughs) and and glasses, and and Chris Bryant didn't know that it was uh, Greg Maddox and uh, the the guy that was throwing uh, the batting practice said oh, he got a phone call and he had to leave and and chris says, all right well we'll call it a day and then uh, the sound guy says well i can throw the pitches <laughs>
0: says, no that's okay yeah,
1: give me a chance and all of a sudden you know maddox is throwing curveballs <laughs> and you see chris bryan going gee this kid really throw a nice curve <laughs> so i mean there's a lot of pranks that occur at camp and uh sure uh, It's enjoyable.
0: Yeah. Uh, Any others that stick out Uh, uh, just off the top of your head, outside of blocking Steve? I mean, I know Steve was uh, known for his shenanigans in general.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, He's a great guy. Uh, You know, I I can't, uh, whether it be, you know, putting uh, shaving cream on somebody and scratching their nose, Uh, that was... uh, that was uh, always an experience. Or you can remember, uh, I can remember uh, Jim Nachman uh, uh, in the middle of the night, uh, always uh, experimenting with uh, all the bodily uh, emissions that occurred, and he'd he enjoyed lighting his farts. <laughs> and that was always great entertainment. Sure, Instead of, of the, watching a movie at the uh, rec hall. Uh, <laughs> my, my one experience as a junior counselor, I remember my father came up and mother, they, they visited, they were staying at Eagle Waters. It wasn't during parents weekend. So, uh, there were a couple of days where on my night off, he let me have the car. And I remember it was like a a Thunderbird. So it was a relatively smaller car, four seater, not the two seater. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we went drinking and for some reason I was alone and I came back and, uh, I remember, uh, driving down, uh, past Maramita and for some reason I decided to take the sign down <laughs> and, uh, I drove into the parking lot and threw the sign into the bushes. And when I woke up the next morning, I thought, what did I do? <laughs> so I, I put the sign back in early and drove back and threw it on the ground by the, the signposts. But apparently somebody else saw me oh. and, uh, the next thing I know, uh, The sheriff is coming into camp. Oh, no. And uh, he is, uh, because the owner of Maramita never got along with uh, Al. Right. Uh, He was wanting blood. And uh, (laughs) Denny was uh, uh, the athletic director, and it was, uh, it must have been before breakfast. And uh, Denny came in, we were eating, you know, the JV were eating early. And he said, now the sheriff is here, and I know the sign was taken last night, and it was when the junior JV, junior counselors were out on night off. Um, I'd like the person that uh, took the sign down to come forward. And no one was moving, and all of a sudden, Denny puts his hand on my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the gig, the jig is up. And, uh, classic, uh, Denny yeah, classic, classic Denny, Denny move. classic Denny move. So fortunately, I didn't go to jail. Wow.
0: Wow. I'm sure you were pretty scared, though. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Denny handled it very well. Nice. Uh,
0: one thing I want to talk to you about, the kids, uh, and, and the kids are always the kids, no matter what year it is, uh, love to look at the plaques, learn the names of the guys before him from the plaques. And when a guy has a name that sticks out, those guys really, they're like, oh, my God, I know that name. I've seen that on all the plaques. So with Duke, that really sticks out for a lot of guys. That's a a name you hear people ask about all the time. Wow, how does he get the name Duke? What's that short for? Whatever it is, you know, it's just one of those names that sticks out. But you have the honor of being on one of the greatest plaques in the whole mess hall, there is, there's no hyperbole to this, and that is the 69 Trees, and I believe you won Collegiate Week, is that correct?
1: Yes, I did, and <laughs> unfortunately, it was with Ohio State, which is, uh, you know, uh, Ohio State and Michigan are always looked at as the only two teams in the Big Ten, and we're uh, always the uh, second-class citizens in University of Wisconsin-Madison, sure. but sure. Uh, it, was a, it was a great week, and uh, I enjoyed it a great deal. <laughs>
0: Do you, tell me a little bit about it. I mean, do you remember any of the details? How um, Was it a close week? Was oh, it a- yeah.
1: It went down to uh, we really didn't know who would win, uh, you know, because they always held back uh, the winners of uh, Song Night and Stunt Night. Sure. And uh, I think I had a, actually, I, I, I'm trying to recollect, I think I had a, an anti-war mm. kind of stunt night. It was, might have been James Thurber and um uh we were able to put it to music and it, it worked out very well and I, I think i won stunt night and if i had to guess uh we were competitive through the whole week but i think that's what put us over the top gotcha nice um
0: Futransky and i were uh co-counselors for several years and we've just been good friends he was one of my first good friends at camp so i've heard a lot about him. he was on the team um is that correct
1: He's, i think yeah. so I, i'm trying to remember i also won uh Peach League, or was it – I didn't – it wasn't Watermelon League. It was either Peach or – I think it was Peach League I won uh, with the Grizzlies.
0: Ah, so, nice.
1: So we had a baseball team and won uh, Collegiate Week. <laughs> Not a bad showing. Not it's a, a bad showing. It was solidary. unusual.
0: <laughs> now, uh, outside of 69, Collegiate Week-wise, did you win as a
1: camper? Did you – Yes. Um, I'm thinking it was with Bert Rubenstein, and it might have been – under University of Illinois I kind of recollect um, yep I, nice. I, 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 that was that was special
0: that, I was gonna say that's an honor that does not necessarily befall every camper certainly no it was um, unusual
1: yeah yeah uh, in fact uh, the other the team that came in third in 69, was Mark Lieberman's team. And we looked at each other before the announcement was made, and neither one of us knew who won. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Even from first to third. Wow. Yeah. That's brutal. And, and of course, uh, they're playing the piano, I assume. Yes. And they're just killing you. And <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, another thing I always like to ask, guys, about the uh, the Jibble Braves. Uh, were you a part of the Braves organization? Oh, yeah. And were you eventually an officer of the
1: Braves? Yes, I was uh, guardian of the fire. Ah, very and, nice. Uh, um, fortunately, uh, I haven't continued my practice, <laughs> uh, but I'm trying to recollect, I think Dave Gertz was also maybe guardian of the fire, mm. maybe, but I know he was an officer, Yeah. but uh, it was enjoyable. Uh, I don't know if they still have the uh, cabin 13 powwows out at that uh, campsite mm-hmm. where you'd set up a big bonfire. I yeah. always enjoyed that or having it on the beach. Right. Yeah. That was, uh, that was enjoyable. Um, and uh it was uh it was a good experience as well as uh the warriors
0: mm.
1: yeah the warriors uh the initiation night was a little bit rougher
0: <laughs> i i've heard that the uh, well both i mean these days you know uh it's a much different world so we've sort of scrubbed the native american symbology off of everything now we don't use uh, cheat, I mean, we we relate them to animals instead of Indian tribes, and we don't have powwows. We have summits, and they're more like a skit. And it's, I mean, it's a lot of that stuff. But in general, um, also the acceptance policy is now one hundred percent. If you're at camp, your bar mitzvah year, you become a brave. Not in your time, and in your time, it was still more of a popularity contest, or you would eventually get in, but you may not get in right away. That kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, the the warrior initiation. I remember th- they were really having a. a fun time with me. They ran me into the flagpole in front of the mess hall. Almost knocked me out. Because, you know, you had a pillowcase on your head. I was going to say, of
0: course you have a pillowcase on your head. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've seen a few pictures. Uh, Dave Scher had a few pictures from the <laughs> from the actual initiation. I was like, you should burn really? these. Yeah, I was like, you should not have these. These should be burned. <laughs>
1: like,
0: we don't need that kind of proof. <laughs> Another thing I always talk about when I came into camp, uh, I was I'm a theater guy. I was a theater guy in college, and that's why I was brought in originally. Uh, what I came to find out is that the rec hall stage is a big part of every camp Ojibwa person's life. So, did you have any uh, exploits on the stage of the rec hall? Be it song night, stunt night.
1: Well, like I jubilee? said, uh, we enjoyed uh, we enjoyed stunt night, and uh, it was uh, it was always uh, enjoyable to participate. Um, I think there was at least one or two years that, uh, uh, the Campo Jibbo Jubilee, I was one of the, uh, minstrels mm. and, uh, I, I suppose now that, uh, that has been, uh, politically corrected. Yes. Something yeah. else
0: gone to the winds of time, but yeah, right. at its time, a, certainly a big deal and a big part of the, uh, Campo Jibbo summer season for sure.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was fun and yeah, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, stage was intimate and, uh, guys participated and, uh, you really, you really had a a feeling, a kumbaya moment because people really didn't look at it as, you know, something that, uh, is not Campo Jibwa. It was part of the Campo Jibwa experience. Yeah,
0: I think that's one of the coolest things about it. It's not something you you think about all the time, but that, you know, the biggest jocks, the whatever, can get on stage and just be, and just do it. And it's not, no one's making fun of them for it. It's just part of the thing. And and at the end of the day, they end up having a great time. Yep. Yeah, so it's a big part of that. You were there for, uh, of course, Obviously, the early years of Denny and the early years of Elliot, and seeing them slowly begin their rise to prominence, but also Alan Pearl. Tell me a little bit about Alan Pearl.
1: Well, uh, it was the yin and the yang. I think uh, uh, Al had a deep voice and was uh, a wonderful communicator and a, a great sense of humor, and Pearl had a dry sense of humor, and she was intimidating. Mm. You didn't want to cross the line with Pearl. And, uh, yeah, she had a warm side to her and, uh, uh, but she was more of a, well, they were both disciplinarians, but I think it was more overt with Pearl making sure that you, you walk the narrow line <laughs> uh, sure. and El was, uh, El was there to make sure that everyone had a good time, but, uh, follow the rules. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, they were both wonderful people and, uh, it, it were great experiences and, the same holds true for uh mickey and uh Reva and and sandy um and Denny. uh it was uh it was great uh you know my memories of uh, Sid Novak were limited uh, i can't remember the last year when he died um uh but it was early on yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, and I've had a lot of guy- guys who would predate you a little bit. have talked a lot about Sid and about his his big impact, certainly during those late '40s into the '50s years. Mm-hmm. Um, that he was really, you know, sort of the way Denny was later for you, really running camp a lot of the times. So <laughs> stuff like that. You said '72 was your last year. '70. W- oh, I'm sorry. '70 was your last year. Was it just it was time to go live life and yeah, yeah. <laughs> as often happens um and you said you've been to visit a couple times since but who are the, are there guys that you've kept in touch with over the years long time friends that uh, well that like stuck? I said
1: Mark Lieberman uh I, there were very few uh interactions with uh um Dave Gertz uh, I know he went out west there was a couple of times I talked to David um, I certainly saw Sid Harris uh Louis Schwartz um uh Kenny Lewis hmm. um trying to remember um occasionally i saw uh on the train on the train up to glencoe i'd see uh uh, butch gold Mm. and uh uh, jimmy schwartz um neil Mall, um but it's been years since i saw neil uh, saw recently uh um Ronnie Rubenstein and Burt Rubenstein. Nice. And uh, they are, you know, they were fantastic athletes.
0: I've heard, I still have to get Ronnie on the, on the uh, mics. Um, I've heard he was just maybe all time top five athlete at camp.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were it was really incredible.
0: And you were there for really, uh, I, I mean, listen, I've talked to a lot of guys and every guy will say that they had the best athletes of any time. But I think that. Probably the late fifties through to the end of the sixties were really the prime athletic years of Camp Ojima. I mean, with Hershey, starting with Hershey Carl and Ronnie Rubenstein, and going all the way through the sixties, and and even getting up to your guys, you know, Rafi and and Feldman and those guys. I mean, the Karanskis and Hank. You were there for a pretty good run.
1: Yeah, well, Hank was Hank uh, and Joel were excellent athletes. Uh, um, uh, Rafi's younger. He's still a you know, he's still athletic. Yeah. He and I I assume we living in when he was living in Glencoe, I think he lives in the city now, uh he was an avid runner. Uh and Feldman is an avid comedian, so I don't know uh exactly you know, he was always a competitive athlete. Yeah. Well Lieberman was uh, head and shoulders above me as an athlete. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he was a competitive uh, high school tennis player. Mm. And, you know, I don't think he ever won collegiate week.
0: Yeah. It's that's the magic of collegiate week. And it's so funny. Uh, that's part of what makes it so amazing is guys want it so bad and really great athletes will miss out on it. And guys who, you know, are relatively middle of the road will end up winning six times or something ridiculous like that. And there's just no rhyme or reason sort of heading toward wrapping up. There's usually a couple things I ask at the end. So, uh, first and foremost, um, you're a grown up now, you got a few years under your belt. Yeah. Uh, how would you say that your time at Campo affected your life?
1: It was uh, an awesome experience to be uh, exposed to uh, a group of peers that uh, established um, a standard of athleticism and, and uh, good sportsmanship. And uh, it's carried through the rest of my life in terms of understanding uh, how to compete and how to be uh, honest, uh, being acceptance as a, as a loss, And appreciating that uh, not everyone can win Mm. and uh, um, it was uh, uh, for me to participate in all the sports that I I, uh, was exposed to at camp uh, it never would have occurred when I was living in the city and Mm. so for that I'm deeply thankful and uh, I'm thankful for uh, the the standards of uh, establishing morality between, uh, uh, you know, Al and and Pearl and understanding what hard work meant because whether you were a a waiter or a counselor, you you were exposed to having responsibilities that as a a teenager you didn't have. Mm. And uh, it was a good growth experience for me.
0: Nice. Last thing, tell me one more great camp story.
1: Well, there are several good camp stories. Uh, um, Probably one of my biggest disappointments, and like I said, talking about uh, understanding the difference between right and wrong and and acting maturely, Uh, I guess I was probably a little bit sloppy at the the, uh, cabin table for the meals. And eventually, I can't remember who my counselor was, But uh, he forced me, and that even occurred all the way up to cabin 13, Uh, he forced me to eat under the table for a meal, several (laughs) meals, and uh, actually, the biggest disappointment I probably had at camp was my own doing, because I missed the overnight canoe trip, because of my poor conduct at the the meals, and uh, I never had that, I think I finally had an opportunity, I learned my lesson and the following year. I was able to get on uh, one of the canoe trips, but uh, um, it certainly was a sobering experience to to understand uh, there's consequences to actions. And uh, sometimes uh, kids today don't realize the consequences to the actions.
0: That's very well put, and I think
1: a great place to stop.
0: Thank you so much, Duke. This has been awesome. All right, I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Look forward to hearing it.
0: Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Duke Gutterman. Great guy. Real sweetheart of a guy. And uh, we just had a lovely time together, and I think you could hear it. I think he's a guy who really enjoyed his time at camp, and uh, and you could hear it in the interview. As always, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you know how. Drop me an email. Christopher at org, or just swing by the website. Check out the updates there. Pick up your brick. Click the link. Go get your tickets. OJ90.com. You can do that. Get all that stuff out of the way. Now, as you know, It is March, and in March, uh, where I'm from, there's only one thing you care about, and that is how long the Cats are going to be in the tournament. Growing up in Kentucky, the Kentucky Wildcats are literally a religion. I mean, I was in Indiana for some high school years, and high school basketball in Indiana is one thing, but in Kentucky, you bleed blue, and that's real. And so the best day of the year is if we win it all, and the worst day of the year is, of course, when we play our last game if we don't. So big win today over the shockers of Wichita State, and we're going to be playing next week, and I'm going outside to celebrate with a cigar.